Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to Sandy and Sean. Step back. Be back. Sandy uh, doing what? Well, he's done. So, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Clough. But the... We come, miss you. Though. Yeah, I'm coming back at the right time. Because we are talking about some stuff happening in Denver Sports tonight. We have a... As, as long as you're, you're a comfy couch tonight, you're in good shape. Because you can watch the Nuggets take on the Rockets starting at 6. Let that finish. And then... Catch the Avs and the Sharks at 8.30. Late Catch start. all of that. Late start Late there. Start. They ought to sink right up. And, uh, you know, just try not to house an entire bag of chips or uh, Oreos or something while you're at it. But uh, good sports watching tonight, obviously. And uh, while we're at it, mentioning it out, the uh, new Mile High Sports issue, the magazine. You mentioned uh, that yesterday. Yeah, it dropped. So go check that out. Uh, a lot of those. Uh, Including uh, your participation. <laughs> Yep. In a four-way roundtable yep, round conversation. Yep, uh, Part of the Rockies. that as well. And it, I think it was a pretty interesting roundtable about the Rockies included in there uh, as well. You can get those uh, all over the Metro Denver area. If you particularly want a few of them, they'll be at uh, Hooters restaurants in the local area because the uh, Hooters Colorado finalists are in that as well as the partnership. And uh, you might even find a slightly embarrassing, but sort of comical, funny picture of me uh, as a child in Little League. Uh, it's our baseball issue, so, you know, off we go. I, I, I looked at it. Uh, turned out okay. It's only slightly embarrassing, but uh, literally took the back of a, those baseball cards. Yeah, I did see that. Doug I did not comment. Together, uh, yeah. Back I when I was uh, from, oh. 13 years old, uh, weight 4 foot 10, or height 4 foot 10, weight 85 pounds. Uh, not a power, right, not way a power ten. That would be. A, yeah, that would have been. That would be. A, I'm, I look good. A story. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, that would but, be a story. Uh, yeah, four ten eighty five. So not a power hitter back uh, in Little League back then, or ever really for that point. But go check out the magazine. And tonight we take a look at. I will start with the Nuggets, who have a opportunity to do something they've never done before, Sandy. And we're talking about first off, they're playing a Houston Rockets team that has its own chase, uh, although some, for something very different, as they are. Basically competing with the Detroit Pistons. Pistons have 16 wins. The Rockets have 19 wins for the lottery balls in the hopes that they can draft uh, French prospect Victor Wembanyama, who will be the first pick of the draft, barring something really, really bizarre. So the Rockets have no incentive to win this game whatsoever. The Nuggets with the win will do something they've never done, clinch the top seed in the Western Conference, and do it with some time to go. So this is a great opportunity. The question now knowing that Phoenix is the next game on the schedule. Do you play Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray tonight, finish this team off, get that top seed, and then against and what would be a high-leverage game against the Suns, then you can sit Jokic and Jamal and say, we don't care about this in the slightest. My assertion made yesterday in the program was that they should not play Jokic at all. And I thought Michael Malone sort of kind of hinted at that the other night when he talked about rest and then lest he be misinterpreted as having said the injury is kind of a phantom injury, uh, came back to the point and said, you know, he's really hurt. Mm -hmm. But the first idea makes it to me irrelevant as to whether he's hurt or not whether he is uh, uh, fighting 
an injury that could be easily aggravated or conceivably it could be an injury that you wouldn't further aggravate by playing. I don't think it matters. I wouldn't play in any of the remaining games. Any of the remaining games. Because as Malone pointed out, they do have a week, more or less, before the playoffs begin Mm -hmm. as one of the top six teams in the West. So you'd be effectively giving him more than two weeks of rest at the end of a long season. Now, I don't know how voters for the MVP sweepstakes would react to that, but that is certainly not Nikola Jokic's primary concern, and it shouldn't be the Nuggets' primary concern either. Don't play Jokic. They didn't need him to beat Golden State the other night. They shouldn't need him to beat Houston. I think a side benefit, could, in theory, come through the fact that for the first time in a Nugget uniform, I thought Michael Porter Jr. took charge of a game and was clearly, all around, the best player on the floor. And you've got future Hall of Famers out there the other night. Yeah. For Golden State. And and that's a great point. He was better than any of them. He was more efficient. He was more engaged defensively. 29 points, 11 rebounds. Uh either impeded shots or blocked them. I thought when things got sticky, he not only got on a hot streak, he took charge of the entire basketball game. And I've never seen him do that before in a Nugget uniform. Mostly because when he's played, Jokic and Murray have also been out there. Yeah, When he has played, and certainly his offensive numbers can be impressive, but his all-around game rarely, if ever, has been. And I thought the other night, in a game of some consequence, because, as we point out, the Nuggets have a chance to clinch first place. Before having to fight a tough game against the Suns. Right. I would not play. And I would give the Suns no reason to think that with Jokic on the floor and available, they can beat the Nuggets. It, it, the game is, it, if they win tonight, or even if they don't, if they clinch first place by Thursday night, there's even less reason to play Jokic. I would also cut Murray's minutes. He played 41 and a half the other night. Yeah. I would not play him more than 30 minutes. I thought the two key players in the fourth quarter the other night for the Nuggets, and I, I'm not discounting Murray, the people who changed the game the other night were Michael Porter Jr. and Christian Brown in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. In the fourth quarter. And Brown wasn't so good his first stint in the game, but when Malone put him in in the fourth quarter, he ended up playing a little over 16 minutes, and I thought he changed the game. Uh, defensively and offensively, just with his energy, something that Golden State could not come close to matching until the Nuggets almost gave the game away in the final minute to 90 seconds of the contest. But I, I would not... I'd play Reggie Jackson. I'd play Christian Brown a little more. I'd play Bruce Brown if you have to a little more. I I would reduce Murray's minutes to about 30. And uh, whatever other protective measures you need to take, uh, take them. I I don't think you have to take them as much with Gordon. I think Gordon needs to play. Um, Caldwell Pope is someone who I think needs to play. Yeah, only 21 minutes in that Uh, game against the Even Even Porter. Uh, as long as you don't get silly, 
Um, so 30, 40 30, played against Golden State. 35, that's fine. 30 to 35. That's fine yeah. for Michael Porter Jr. And they proved the other night that in a game that, whatever you think of Golden State this year, and we discussed this at length yesterday, whatever you think of Golden State this year, they still have Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green. And mm-hmm. they have Jordan Poole coming off the bench. And Steve Kerr is still their coach. Steve right. Green, right? Exactly. And they needed the game. They needed the game. Because now they're fighting to stay out of the playing tournament. If they had won the other night, they would have gone ahead of the Clippers and been in fifth place mm-hmm. and virtually assured themselves of finishing somewhere around fifth or sixth and not have to play in the playing tournament. Now you've got the Clippers, Golden State, the Lakers, and New Orleans, all with 38 losses. The Clippers and Warriors of 141. The Lakers and New Orleans of 140. So you've got four teams separated by a half a game. Two of those four teams will have to play in the play-in tournament. Two of those four teams will not have to play in the play-in tournament. That is a big deal. Let those teams wear their, themselves out because chances are, it's not a guarantee, but chances are, the Nuggets will be playing in the first round of the NBA playoffs this year, one of those four teams. Yes, obviously that is the, the case. Make and them one will come play through. their guy. Right, right. Yeah, use use them. Use their their exhaustion and make, make them have to play, and that's the beauty of the playing tournament. Not only is it entertaining, it rewards the higher seeds because uh, much like baseball used to do this wild card, right? You had to burn your ace while, while the other team couldn't because you need to win that game. Uh, the the play-in tournament works kind of like that. I mean, you're going to have to play guys whatever minutes it takes to win the game while the other team sits back and relax. And I think with Nikola Jokic in particular, I, I don't think there's a worry about Jokic missing uh, even, really, I'm with you, the rest of this regular season and worry that, oh, no, he won't be ready come game one of the postseason. Of course he will. <laughs> he sets the tempo of every game right. himself. Everybody, I don't have to worry about Nikola Jokic. No. Well, he's got to get back into the rhythm of the game. No, he sets the rhythm of the game. The point you made is really interesting about Michael Porter. He doesn't respond to it. He sets it. And by the way, the, the, the Nuggets, the last time they played Houston in Houston, was not all that long ago. The Nuggets won that game by 21 points. Jokic only played 28 minutes and had a triple-double. Murray played 32 and had 32 points. They don't need Jokic to win this game tonight. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm of the belief I would sit Jokic the rest, rest of the regular season. I would. Absolutely. I agree. I, I, I don't think that, yeah. you know, again, on our text line or on the phones, I'm more than open to hearing arguments to the contrary, but this is what you play for. Yeah, this is what you hope clinch to earn. early so that even before you clinch, you can take someone who could play but probably shouldn't right. in games that aren't that consequential as opposed to playoff games, and you can err on the side of caution. And in the meantime, what are the Nuggets' biggest concerns, right? We're talking about the bench and Michael Malone's usage of it. Well, guess what? If you do this, the bench guys get more minutes. Michael Malone has to, get, has to use them, has to figure out how they work together. I mean, you take a look at Peyton Watson. Peyton Watson. Peyton Watson's kind of a revelation. Now, again, he won't play good. in the playoffs. But for the long-term future, I thought he looked like a useful player. Again, brings a lot of energy. He doesn't need shots. Well, he's a, he's a defender. I mean, this is a guy that prides himself. I, I, he's only 20. And to his credit, not a lot of 20-year-old kids walk into the NBA and understand, like, I, I hang my hat on defense. But he does. 
and that's what they knew coming in. He, he only averaged, Sandy, I don't have it right in front of me, I think he only averaged 2.6 points a game in, in a season at UCLA before the Nuggets drafted him. He's there to play D. But against the Warriors, those 20 minutes, eight points, five rebounds, and three blocks, some of them quite clutch. In the entire season coming into that game, he had 51 minutes on the court. In the last two games, he's had 47 minutes and five blocks. Another guy you can play Are you sure you shouldn't use him in the postseason? I I think it's tricky because he's never experienced it before. Neither Um, is Christian Brown. I I understand that, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm guessing that Brown's limit uh, will be about 10 to 15 minutes. In the playoffs, he, he will not play as much as he's been playing. I hope that's not the case because I think he can handle it. And he's played enough this year. And frankly, he played on a national championship team right. last year. He's not cowed by right. the idea of postseason. And Watson basketball. played on a good UCLA team, but he didn't get major minutes. That's right. That's the difference. Brown was a consequential player on a national championship team who played 34, 35 minutes out of 40 every single night. Yeah. And I look and at the rest under pressure. of the Nuggets schedule. After Houston, it's it's at Phoenix, at Utah versus Sacramento. I know Utah is not that dangerous, but the, when you're talking about risk to Jokic. But I don't want DeAndre Ayton to be banging on Nikola Jokic in a meaningless game. I don't want him to have to battle with DeMontis Sabonis in a meaningless game. No. Why Why would you take no. these risks? For these guys- are exhibition games. Yeah. and And you can win one of those games, and that's all you really need. A record for wins in a season, NBA record for wins in a season, that went by the wayside a while back. They, they, they were never going to get to 57. Anyway, it, you, you might as well at this point. I understand in theory that you could still get to... 56. Yeah, but who cares? Right? But who cares? Top, top seed is top seed. 56, 55, Nobody 54, remembers how many games you won in the season. Uh, who what, cares? What, what was your seed? And right. when you look at Memphis, Memphis has Portland tonight at home. They're going to blow the doors off Portland. But their remaining schedule, and remember, even a single well, loss that, by, by, by Memphis hands the seed, top seed to the That's what Minnesota said the other day. That is, you're way, correct. Too, the uh, biggest NBA upset in 30 years. Yeah, when it comes to, yeah, the points. But anyway, yeah, your points. point is what they, let Memphis and Sacramento scrap for second place. And home court advantage. And Memphis will have to then, they finish Wednesday at the Pelicans, a team that has playoff aspirations and will give them their best game, at the Bucks in Milwaukee, the best team in the league, and then at Oklahoma City, a team that we know is a, is a challenge. Their last three games are on the road against three, at the moment, at least, playoff teams. Yeah. And, and one of them's the best team in the league. Memphis right. is not going to win their last four out. It's not going to well, happen. No, and, so and that's you're exactly a, right. Even For the, the Nuggets, Nuggets, who cares? Even even if the Nuggets lost tonight and didn't win another game, they're going to finish first. Okay, um, some of these teams. I'm looking at Sacramento's schedule. Sacramento's at New Orleans too. Uh, home game against San Antonio should win that. At Dallas, the, you know the Mavs are fading on life support. Yeah. Uh, Golden State at home and at Denver. Uh, Phoenix at Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Denver at the Lakers and home against the Clippers. So I don't know. It, it To the extent that you would look to manipulate standings, obviously Houston wouldn't come into play tonight. The other night, though, 
the incentive to win is based on the idea of driving Golden State down. And I advanced uh, maybe a more controversial idea yesterday that if it were me, and I know I'm going to play one of these four teams Mm -hmm. in the first round of the playoffs, Mm -hmm. I would much prefer to play the Clippers and even Golden State as opposed to the Lakers, assuming LeBron remains healthy and Anthony Davis remains in one piece. One seven out of the last ten, they're the hottest team in the West. I would prefer the Clippers or Golden State as first-round rivals to New Orleans as well, again, on the assumption that Zion comes back. But even if he doesn't, they have a superstar in Brandon Ingram and a veteran guard in C.J. McCollum, who's been in the playoffs a bunch And a guy that's torched times. the Nuggets on multiple occasions. Yes. Yeah, McCollum's so, been a problem. Uh, again, I, uh, I'd rather stay away from the Lakers in New Orleans, if for no other reason than based on present form. I think the Clippers and Golden State are less dangerous. Paul George, by the way, is out. No sign that he will necessarily be ready for the playoffs uh, for the Clippers. And with respect to Golden State, the Wiggins thing is kind of up in the air, although most of the reports seem to suggest that uh, due to family issues, he's been out since basically the All-Star break, Mm -hmm. and he would return this week. But nobody is saying that certain right and again it's not a physical injury that he's dealing with so kind of plug he claims play. he's been working out and i know working out and playing in games is not the same thing but that's an incentive for golden state to stay out of the plan so he has a week to integrate himself on the practice court before the playoffs uh, begin and also there's the advantage of golden state if they stay where they are right now in the first round playing sacramento a series I would expect Golden State to win. Uh, Sacramento's a better team, but Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs in 17 years, and Sacramento's form of late has not been great. Uh, I, you know, they've won six out of 10 games, but uh, it, it, with Memphis and Sacramento, uh, neither one has been able to separate for second place, but maybe it doesn't make that much difference. Right. Uh, second versus third. But if you finish first, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, and look, the, the Western Conference playoffs are going to be tough. And a, a certain stage look, also looks like Phoenix is going to be uh, in that fourth spot, barring something weird, and, and were the seedings to hold up. Let's say Sacramento did advance, the top four seeds advanced. Uh, you, that means you have a second-round series with the Suns, and that's scary. That it said, is. if you the Nuggets, that's kind of out of your control now. It is. Even the game they play on Thursday, that's out of your control. Don't worry about it. The Suns are going to end up where they're going to end up, and and you don't want to deal with it. But I'm with you. I don't think you play Nikola Jokic in this, and you don't worry about it. Want to know what you think, though? Our call and text line is 303-831-1340. Would you bench Jokic tonight? Would you do what Sandy's recommending? And I agree with. Bench him for the rest of the regular season. Get the big man some rest, and maybe even knock Jamal Murray down uh, tonight as well, because what I like about that, Sandy is one of the points you made. And we'll get back to Ryan Blackburn from Miley Sports will join us at 3 o'clock. The point you made about Michael Porter Jr. is important. You have an opportunity to play Peyton Watson, Christian Brown more time. You know, maybe not only do you get the bench guys, but perhaps Michael Porter Jr. gets a chance to play like a top dog. Maybe getting him in that rhythm gives you a better opportunity in the playoffs. Casey Okutcher Murray has a bad Another night. weapon. Another major weapon. And uh, maybe the Sunday 
lead story in the Denver Post was prophetic. Lead story in the sports section. How Michael Porter has turned into a complete player. Mm -hmm. How about that? I thought it was a little premature when I read it, but then the game Sunday night suggested that he is capable of being that kind of player. Potentially so. So we will find out with the Nuggets. The Avalanche, of course, take on the Sharks tonight. First of two games against San Jose. Not back-to-back, but both in San Jose. A little weird. We'll touch base with the Avalanche next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chantro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy, the last time we were talking about the Colorado Avalanche, we were lamenting their third opportunity to take control of the Central Division that slipped by the wayside. In the meantime, um... They're like the villains in a horror movie. You think they're dead, and they just keep coming back. The Avs with 75 games played have two in hand on Dallas and Minnesota. Minnesota has now uh, lost two, although they did get a point uh, in overtime. But Dallas and Minnesota tied at 98. The Avs only two points behind with 96 and two games in hand. They can match them with 98 tonight with a win over the San Jose Sharks. Who have and they still have a eliminated. game in hand. They still have a game in hand. They are once again back in control of the Central. They are. Remarkable push for the Avs. And give them credit, but also, you know, thanks a little to Dallas and Minnesota for uh, letting them hang around. Well, Dallas won big last night. But and still, the Avs won, finally, four, one of the last a game they the needed to win. Yeah. And needed to win without overtime or a shootout that would provide Dallas uh, even in a loss with one point. We had basically previewed the game as a battle for second place. Mm -hmm. In fact, as things worked out, it was a fight for the best winning percentage, point percentage, in the Central Division on Saturday night, given the fact that Las Vegas was basically beating up on Minnesota. So my uh, Premature assertion that the Avs were dead last week as far as first-place prospects are concerned uh, has been uh, proven to be uh, at least premature and at worst foolish. Nice to be wrong sometimes, it turns out. Uh, but, uh, again, <laughs> no, hey. the point percentage is, in effect, the winning percentage. Correct. It's the same thing. And you count ties, overtime losses, shootout losses, as half a win, That's half, half a, a loss. Okay? Right. The Avs at 640. Dallas and Minnesota both at 636. Dallas is technically, at the moment, in first place. Mm -hmm. Minnesota is second. The Avs are third. But with a win tonight, both Dallas and the Wild played last night. Mm -hmm. With a win tonight, the Avs go into first. Yes. Yes. And it's San Jose. And the two games they have in hand are, in effect, the two games of San Jose. San Jose, a team that, by the way, uh, has been out of it for a while. 59 points on the season, 22-39 with 15 overtime losses, a minus 68 on the goal differential. Now, they have won their last three, including knocking off Vegas in overtime. Give them some credit there. Win over Winnipeg 
and a win over Vegas. Those are, at the moment, playoff teams, Winnipeg in the final wild card slot. So uh, give them some credit there. And then their other win over Arizona. But the Sharks are not good. They are not the avalanche. Three here, wins in 10 games. Here's the crazy part, Sandy. The record for San Jose at home, 14, 19, and 15. They have won eight home games all year in regulation. They are 8, 20, and 10. They've won eight out of 38 home games in regulation. I mean, yikes, right? If you're the Avs, you have to find a way to win both of these games today and Thursday. They're both in San Jose. They will have the day off Wednesday for the Avs. That's about the best road trip you can hope for. You don't even have to travel. And all of a sudden, they will be at 77 games with 100 points. And no matter what Dallas or Minnesota does in the interim, they will be in first. The Avs would be in total control of the of the Central Division if they get that. So we'll go to our phone lines real quick, which is 303-831-1340. You can call or text and talk to Dave about this. Hey, Dave. We have to thank the Golden Knights last night for, well, actually, it was the Wild giving the game away. Yeah, they did, they, didn't they? They did. You know, the one, the one player to me is most confounding is Jack Eichel. Never seen the guy turn the puck over more and keep playing. I mean, he's a real disappointing player to watch. Well, not, I mean, not one of my. I don't know. Got sixty three points in sixty four games. Yeah, and he's a plus twenty four on the year. Having a pretty good year, and they're in first place. And on the best, the best yeah, team in the West, yeah, uh, in, the, in the in the Pacific. I'm not a big Jack. I'm not a Jack Eichel guy. I'm just. I mean, that's okay. But I, but the the truth is, he's. He's pretty effective. I mean, he's having a really good year. The plus-minus is outstanding for a guy that scores what he scores. Shooting percentage is good at 12.7%. He's outstanding on the he power play. He looked pretty good in the last points. few games. Yeah. I, I, he, he was a factor. I get the point the last I, that I think people's expectations when Eichel came into the league was going to be more Connor McDavid, but that's more that Connor McDavid is yeah, a that's unicorn. A, that's right? a pretty lofty. Right. Yeah, that's lofty. Yeah. So it's yeah. but, uh, Vegas is a dangerous team, and, and it does feel that at some point, no matter where the avalanche go if they are going to make a run at the Stanley Cup they're probably going to have to go through them at some point that's just the reality I just I kind of feel like that's their number one rival in I'm, the West I'm inclined to agree uh, not only yeah. I, I think not only in the West in this playoffs but despite the fact they've occasionally had rivalries in Minnesota I think the last few years of playing the Golden Knights in the postseason given also the geographic proximity I think that it in many ways the Knights and the Avs are, are forming a pretty darn good rivalry where they're each yeah. becoming uh, the arch rival of the other, which, you know, for just for hockey fans, hey, that's great. Give me that. Yeah, and, that, and, that you do need that. By the way, Vegas is 13-3-1 in its last 17 games. So uh, we, we know how well the Avs have been going over basically the second half of the year. The only two teams in the league hotter than the Avs, the second half of the NHL season, give or take a game or two, Boston and Edmonton. That's it. But Las Vegas... 23, 10 and 5 in calendar year 2023. Yeah. Not quite as hot as the Avs, but very, very close. Eichel, by the way, on a yeah. six game point streak yeah. during that run. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's getting he, the job he, done. You're, you, you would have been right had you said a year ago that you wondered about him and about uh, how valuable feel, he would be to Las Tom Vegas. turned the puck over but, so many times last Well, week. I don't know. I, I mean,. Hockey, uh, hockey's a game of mistakes. Listen, uh, they're obviously not killer turnovers because teams aren't winning. scoring goals on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I was saying that game last night. 
I didn't think that Minnesota, they were, they were trying to hold on instead of trying to get another one to put them away. If a team uh, is set up to play that way, it's Minnesota. And they got terrific goaltending. They're, they're a very good defensive team and they're physical. Yeah. And Vegas basically in two games beat a red hot Minnesota team yeah, at its own game. Hot, given that. And that makes the chances for the Avalanche finishing first greater, but it also makes us keenly aware that Vegas is the best team in the West, which they have oh, been yeah. for a vast majority of the season. Yeah. Yeah, they have. I've never got to ask you this, Sandy, but I mean, Jim Montgomery, I've always thought, I thought he's the best coach they've had in, at DU probably since Murray. And that's a long time ago in the style of the plays. But I've never seen teams that he's coached always have the puck. They totally possess the puck. Oh, Denver, was, Denver won a national title in 2017. They always had the puck. Always had the puck. Always had. And when he, and I told my son when he left St. Louis his last summer and he went to Boston, and I'm not a big, I don't like, I just don't like Boston, but it has nothing to do with their ability of playing. I'm going, well, that's bad for the rest of the league because the, the guy knows how to coach hockey. Now, and that's and, his neck of the woods, too. And, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that Jim got another head coaching opportunity, but even more thrilled that he got it at the right place. And uh, historically, yes. the Boston Bruins have changed coaches about as often as you change your socks. Uh, they've been notoriously impatient, even with uh, coaches, including the most recent one, when they won their last Stanley Cup, uh, who wasn't uh, uh, really given <laughs> the treatment normally accorded at a championship coach. Uh, but uh, they will win, if not this year, then at some point under Jim Montgomery's guidance, they will win a Stanley Cup. He, he is a great coach. Uh, I think you could argue uh, right now that David Carl is off to a start at DU that no one, including Jim Montgomery, including George Wazdecki, including Murray Armstrong, as a matter of fact, has never been able to match. It's an unprecedented start. And David Carl, if he stays long enough at DU, will go down as the greatest coach in the history of the program. Nothing against Murray Armstrong. I did have uh, occasion to meet Murray Armstrong. When I first got to town uh, 44 years ago, and he's a fine man, uh, but he coached in an era when about 10 teams, 10 schools took hockey seriously. And winning was a whole hell of a lot easier back then than it was uh, even Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, and certainly much, much easier to win than it is today. That college hockey is, uh, I think it's it's coming into the the where everybody used to go to major juniors. Kids are playing college hockey now more than ever. Well, look and what the, the quality, Avalanche did. Uh, the Avalanche always, yeah. don't have a lot of draft picks. What did they do within the last week? They signed they two down. major college hockey stars who had been eliminated from the NCAA hockey tournament. But yeah, they, they went out and got the kid from Minnesota State. They got the kid from Cornell. You know, well, the, you know, no, the kid, the up. kid they got uh, Poland is from Western Michigan, but yes, the yeah. the other kid who scored a goal last night for the Eagles, by the way, set up by Poland uh, from Cornell. I've seen him play a fair amount, and I think 
actually he's a better prospect than Poland. And they did that last year, by the way, when they when they signed Ben Myers. They did uh, as well when they signed Ben Myers out of uh, Minnesota. So I mean, this is something that they've gone in a way of getting the the, the players that they need to get, and let your scouting department do the work, and then get uh, aggressive with it. So yeah, we we will find out. Vegas is dangerous for sure. We'll find out where the Avs sit. Uh, th- thanks for the call, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. All right, that's uh, you know you talk about the, the Bruins, and obviously we know how kind of a season they are. 125 points in 77 games, 60, 12, and 5. That's not the number that throws me. What what throws me, Sandy, is the second best team in the league in goal differential has plus 54. The Bruins are 122% better than the second best team in the league. They are a plus 120. They obliterate opponents. It is ridiculous the season they're having and the few close games they have they tend to win i'd have to (laughs) go back in history and try to look but i mean i i can't envision very often the gap between one and two in goal differential is 122 percent that's a very revealing insane (laughs) you know and and if the sample size is small it doesn't mean that much there's 77 games we're, we're, we're into uh the last week 10 days of the season and they're going to break the wins record. Uh, they're going to break the points record. And uh, the goals for goals against differential is going to be massive compared to anybody else. And that is, if if the numbers don't impress you, um, wins, points, and so on, the differential relative to the rest of the league, how dominant uh, they've been. And uh, I'm... I'm looking at their record month by month, starting in October, eight and one, eleven and two, nine one and four, ten three and one, nine and one, eleven and four, and two and zero oh in April. Uh, in the new year, you say, well, they, they'll level off at some point. Thirty-two eight and one. <laughs> I mean, thirty-two eight and one they're in twenty twenty-three. Eighteen points ahead of the Carolina Hurricanes, which has the second best record in the league. And 25 points out of the Maple Leafs in the first place in the right Metro. No, Atlanta. That's the Atlanta. Atlanta. But keep in mind, you Atlanta. know, when you talk about 100-point teams, and we're, like you said, in, the, in basically the final week of the year, there are seven in the entire NHL. Boston has 125. Yeah. I mean, I, this is And in a league where it's, this year you can't even really have enough superlatives 13 for out of 32 teams have a winning slash point percentage mm-hmm. of 600 or better. A lot of good teams, right? Yep. And there are correspondingly some bad teams. Boston is at 8-12. Yep. <laughs> Reg- just regulation, <laughs> regulation wins. There's only one team other than Boston that's got a winning percentage of better than 700, and that's Carolina at 704. Only two teams it's even incredible. have 40 regulation wins. That'd be the Oilers, who have 41, and Boston with 50. Yeah. I mean, oh, uh, now, if there is a bright ridiculous. side, if you're an Avs fan and you're not a Bruins fan or, or you're not really a Boston sports fan, issued on milehighsports.com slash watch, that'd be me raising my hand. But uh, all the pressure is on them. All of it. 
you, you have this kind of season that is purely Stanley Cup or bust. You're an original six team. You have a tremendous amount of history. I will say this. That's the hardest team sport trophy to win by far. You have to run a gauntlet, and you have to get lucky, and you have to get hot. Well, and right now the they expectation play, for Boston is tricky. They play Pittsburgh in the first round. Now, if it's Florida catching Pittsburgh and or the Islanders and they end up, for whatever reason, not playing Pittsburgh, I think they get a little bit of a break. But I saw Boston play Pittsburgh the other day in a game that meant a hell of a lot more to Pittsburgh, and Boston looked awfully good. But Pittsburgh's got guys who have won multiple Stanley Cups. Yeah. They've still got Sidney Crosby. Got as Malkin. long as they have uh, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and all the rest, they could be pesky enough, not necessarily to beat the Bruins, but to uh, put them on their heels a little bit and make it a more stressful first-round series than you'd expect. They weren't as And the good. East is a much better conference than the West. So Boston, uh, however... Uh, vastly superior they've been to everybody, East and West, they'll have a tougher time, I think, in the Eastern Conference playoffs than they would have in the West as the best team in the West. They'd, ha- they'd have a much easier time uh, in the West getting getting on through. But the West has the defending Stanley Cup champions who, if they would ever get completely healthy and functional, and it looks as if speculation has it that uh, Lekkonen might be the first of the four we've talked about to come back because he has been skating lately with stick in hand, which to finger. me means he can broken hold finger is healed. He can hold it. We'll find out, of course. Uh, yeah, remarkable. Then again, you know, we, we said this a few years ago about the Washington Capitals who blew the doors off everyone. All, they weren't as good as Boston, but blew the doors off everyone all year. President's Trophy. Lost the first round. Eight times out of 35. It's, it's happened. It's happened that the President's Trophy team has won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. But that's not even one out of every four years. The March Madness tournament is over. Obviously, a, a very entertaining one and one that's full of surprises. Uh, we'll take a look at the final, but we'll also take a look at what it actually means if it's this wide open again for one University of Colorado. We'll talk about that next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. A terrific men's basketball tournament. Terrific women's basketball tournament, too, by the way. Obviously, uh, Iowa. Yeah, forget about the officiating championship yeah. The women's tournament was a revelation, I thought. And the championship game of the officiating hadn't ruin the game would have been I, I think a classic. The same team would have won. Yes. Oh, because yes. both teams were affected by poor officiating. Last night was kind of the reverse. Officiating superb. Uh game not so much. I didn't yeah. even think UConn was anywhere near its best last night, but San Diego State's run had uh taken it as far as it was going to take it. 
Yes, and, and it just felt like that was going to be the case. Uh, you called early on that that uh, UConn looked like a much better team, and uh, oh, it, yeah. but you know, it, it would go back to that women's for just UConn was the best there. team in the tournament. Danny Hurley told the truth. Yeah. He said he knew going into the tournament they had the best team. They had a weird year. They had one bad month. Uh, they were fourteen and zero, three and zero in league play in the Big East, and they beat everybody out of conference this year by double digits, including all the teams that beat the tournament. Right. Uh, but in January, they lost six out of eight games. They just had a bad stretch. Uh, uh, the coach had COVID, uh, missed some time, and they were kind of a mess in January. But then they recovered. Uh, they didn't win the Big East because all those January losses put them in a hole they couldn't dig out of. And the Big East is really good. By the way, we'll get into next year's mm-hmm. projected rankings from ESPN in just a second. But uh, one and two are Marquette and UConn, or UConn and Marquette yeah. for next year, two big East teams. And Marquette was actually a two seed going into the tournament, uh, lost early on. But uh, the big East, uh, which UConn rejoined, what, about three years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the best basketball conference if you go by tournament results. Well, let's look. And I didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday, but I'll, I'll just throw it out there because there, I had people asking left and right with the, uh, the women's game. Um, No, I don't care that Angel Reese did the you can't see me look in front of, of course. Caitlin Clark. Caitlin of course, Clark, they both trash talk. It's, it's very Caitlin simple. Caitlin Clark, Clark talks trash. Trash she, talks like Larry Bird. Right. And if, you, if, you, if you're, if you're going to dish it out, you need to be willing to take it. And she did. And she did. She said she didn't even notice. She was getting ready for the handshake. Her answer specifically, I don't think Angel should be criticized at all. I'm the one that competes and she competed. I knew everyone there was knew there was going to be a trash talk in the entire tournament. It's not just me and Angel. Uh, she went on to say she's a tremendous, tremendous player. I have nothing but respect for her. Uh, of course, Iowa was the team that finished off the University of Colorado women's basketball team. And looking over at, at ESPN at their early 20, top 25 rankings, CU comes in at 20. And they're right up there from their staff saying that you know, after the Buffalo Spurs sweet 16 appearance in 20 years, J.R. Payne is awarded the five-year contract extension. Right. She should have most of her veteran team back from another run. The top four scorers, Quay Miller, Aronaut Vonley, Frida Foreman, and Jalen Sherrod are all expected to be back. The season marked the second time in 27 years. Colorado had won as many as 25 games, and the third place finish in the Pac-12 was the program's best since joining the conference in 21. Well, a 20 ranking, you know, a guesstimate at this stage is not really a surprise for a team that finished in the top 16, right? So let's go to the men's. Now, we know that there is a heck of a recruiting class coming in, including Cody Williams, ESPN's number six overall. Uh, Son Jop comes in as well. The Recruits from Tad Boyle include three of ESPN's top 150, including with, with Jop and Williams, two of their top 50. And then, of course, they got the news that Eddie Lampkin was going to transfer from TCU. And I, You're uh, talking about a I guy know that, Eddie Lampkin's yeah. game very well uh, from having played uh, at TCU against Kansas and beaten them this year in Lawrence. Uh, Eddie Lampkin plugs right into the starting line. You're talking about a dude that's a load, 6'11", 263. I mean, uh, it gives gives the buffs a physicality that they really haven't been able to have. And you're right. He's a guy that plugs in immediately. So they, at ESPN, they take a look at it. They understand that KJ Simpson should be back. Tristan De Silva should be back. Right. Those two guys are both all Pac-12. We know about Eddie Lampkin. And now, of course, you're adding Williams and Jop, both players who, we believe we'll start immediately, even though the ESPN folks don't have they, they don't have them. But I, in my opinion, I and, think and, and again, these people are projecting uh, on two returning players being in the starting lineup: Simpson and uh, Julian Hammond. 
uh, from Cherry Creek. In my opinion, Simpson and Hammond will come off the bench next year. Uh, Williams will start. The Silva will start. Eddie Lampkins is starting center. Uh, Lovering is the backup. Yeah. Not a bad backup to a have. Backup a defense for Lampkins. guy and a big who, body. Can, who can block shots and rebound. Uh, you don't need him to score with the, with the team they'll have next year. Uh, I th- I think it bodes very well for him. And they'll have a, a, a strong bench. Though people like uh, uh, O'Brien and Clifford coming off the bench with size six seven on up. Uh, other than the point guard position, they will be six seven or bigger at every other spot on the floor, and they'll be two deep. You pointed this this out to me today, you know, before we started talking about it, and pointed out where the buffs were listed in the in the in the. Basically, what they believe is power rankings now. Now that the transfer portal and the season's over and that sort of stuff, um, I just stared at you, Slack John, when you told me where CU was. Yeah, well, that's where their recruiting class ranked. It, that came out a few months Folks, ago from ESPN. It's thirteen. Thirteen. CSU is in. ESPN has CU at thirteenth in the country. Look at the company they're keeping, as, as you expect. Sandy pointed out uh, already. Number one, UConn. Number two, Marquette. Number three, Duke. Number four, Kentucky. Number five, Florida Atlantic. Young team. They said they're not going anywhere. Michigan, well, they got everybody coming back. Right. Why shouldn't they be? Good? Michigan State, six. Kansas, seven. Arizona, eight. Houston, nine. They were a number one seed. Right. Creighton, 10. We know they went to the, the you know. Another Big East team. Four. Very good. Alabama Crimson Tide, the number one team in the country. Arkansas Razorbacks, Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah. Yo. Ahead of Miami. The same Miami team that this year made the final four. Yep. And directly ahead and of I know they have a lot of older players and they, they won't bring back the same team next year. But to be ranked ahead of a final four team just a few days after that team was eliminated. I mean, think think about who that puts them ahead of, folks. Miami, you mentioned Miami. Texas AM, Texas, North Carolina, Baylor, Gonzaga, San Diego State, which was in the final. Mm-hmm. They have the University of Colorado, and of course UCLA rounding up the top twenty-five. Also well, in the Pac-12. USC is ranked sixteenth. They have CU at thirteen. And UCLA 13. is number twenty-five. Only Arizona among Pac-12 teams is ranked ahead of CU. I can't. Not unbelievable. I can't wrap my you brain talk around. About it. the women finished third this year in the Pac-12. Well, in the third place year in the tournament. If CU men are third next year, they will be in the NCAA tournament. And they will not be They're a not 10 or 11 yeah. seed either. No. I mean, uh, you, you can figure out what that is. You know, that's that's pretty uh, pretty stunning. I mean, just to see this kind of come about uh, the way it is. Now, the trick, of course, for the University of Colorado is that given the caliber of their recruits and or transfers in, in Lampkin's case, but it's really Cody Williams we're talking about, your window's small. It just opened. And it might be about to close. You're oh, going to have to jump through it real fast. He's probably one and done. So you need to make a move so that can be the a move that builds your recruiting so this starts to, to steam, exactly. steamroll out a little bit. And that's what you want to be able to and do. And he needs to be a happy player. And I'm not saying Jabari Walker wasn't, but it seemed odd that he left. And listen, I no reason to think that he left for any other reason than he thought he would be somehow somebody gave him the idea to be a first-round pick. He wasn't. But that, that, even with Walker, they had him for two years. So they, the hope is that there's an outside chance you could keep Williams beyond next year. But I agree with you. Next year, that's 
the year you have to win and win big. And uh, Tad has won big with uh, lesser teams. I don't think uh, at any point during his head coaching career, Tad has had the kind of talent that will have next year. I know for a fact he's never had a five-star recruit. Right. That's just a fact. Yep. And then here they are ranked 13th. Were they to get, let's say that play that out, get all the way to say the Sweet 16 next year, which would one be absolutely mind-bending. But if this tournament, and last year's tournament to an extent too, has shown you anything, it's that parity has really come to college basketball. when It, it was always that way with the one-and-done tournament. But, but now... This is, if you have the talent to keep you close, it's about having a good night and being well-coached in games that are tight. That's what this tournament has basically been about. You look at the teams that were just able to succeed, lesser teams made it because they knew how to execute better. Alabama, for example, against San Diego State, looked like they didn't know what to do with the press. It looked they like they never practiced against it, never seen it. And that's coaching. Yes, so, I mean, it's pretty fascinating to see where this goes. The bus could be a big winner next year. If you are hurt, you want to be a big winner, too, obviously. So call our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. And when you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether it's by settlement or trial. Locations all over Colorado, Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even in Cheyenne and the DTC where their personal injury office is located. So when you're injured, when you're seriously hurt, go hire the winners. Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. We are going to go back to the Nuggets who have the opportunity to do something they have never done before. We'll break it all down with Mile High Sports Zone, Ryan Blackburn, next.